the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, October the 20th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On October 20, 2011, Muammar Gaddafi, Libya's dictator for 42 years, he was killed. Revolutionary fighters overwhelmed his hometown of Sirte. Today, in 1803, the U.S. Senate ratified the Louisiana Purchase. Today, in 1947, the House Un-American Activities Committee opened hearings into alleged, it was true, there were, but alleged communist influence and infiltration in the U.S. motion picture industry. Today, in 1979, John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum was dedicated in Boston. Today, in 2001, officials announced that anthrax had been discovered in a House postal facility on Capitol Hill. Remember, anthrax was such a, a big issue uh, following the 2001 attack. According to Associated Press, I'm quoting them, today in 2020, today in 2020, two years ago today, Two weeks before Election Day, President Donald Trump called on Attorney General William Barr to immediately launch an investigation into unverified claims about Democrat Joe Biden and his son Hunter, effectively demanding that the Justice Department abandon its historic resistance to getting involved in elections. Let me tell you the truth. Two years ago today... In 2020, the New York Post actually broke the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Associated Press and other news outlets, that did not fit their narrative. They wanted Joe Biden elected. They did not want anything interfering with their election plans. So they set on the story. The New York Post, one of the oldest newspapers, perhaps it is the oldest continuously in business newspaper in America. Alexander Hamilton was one of the founders of that newspaper. They broke the story. But all the other mainstream or legacy news, as they're calling it now, refused to carry the story because they wanted Biden to win the election. And, of course, he did. The story was damning, to say the least. We now know, 24 months later, we now know it was indeed Hunter's laptop. Nobody even suggests otherwise. And all of this back and forth and all of this business being done, done trading on the, on the influence of Hunter's father, Joe Biden, who was then vice president over those years of, that this laptop was active, and it was indeed Hunter's. There were no apologies. There was no, boy, we sure blew that or whatever. They just went on as though, well, they got Joe elected. Why would they, why would they have any remorse? 
That was the plan. There was nothing about truth. There was nothing about reporting the truth to the public, to the American public, days before an election. No. Miranda Devine actually wrote the story that broke this whole matter of the Hunter Biden's laptop. Here's what she has to say this morning. She's one of the finest journalists in America today. She is straight up. She is honest. She's an excellent writer and an excellent investigative reporter. Here's what Miranda Devine said today. Exactly two years ago, on October 19th, she actually said it, published it yesterday, but it was, it was seen today. Exactly two years ago, on October 19th, 2020, one of the dirtiest tricks in electoral history was played on the American people by 51 former intelligence officials who used the false alarm of Russian interference to stop Donald Trump winning a second term as president. Using the institutional weight of their former esteemed roles, they signed a dishonest letter to mislead voters 15 days before the election, claiming that material from Hunter Biden's laptop published by the New York Post was, has all the, quote, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. In their expert opinion, quote, in their letter, they said the Russians are involved in the Hunter Biden email issue. Russia was, quote, from their letter, trying to influence how Americans voted this election. Moscow will pull out all the stops to do anything possible to help Trump win or to weaken Biden should he win. This was 51 former intelligence officials who signed this letter. They continued, a laptop op fits the bill, as the publication of the emails are clearly designed to discredit Biden. It is high time that Russia stops interfering in our democracy. Miranda Devine writes today, yesterday, it was all a lie. Their letter was a culprit, was the culprit interfering with democracy in broad daylight. While they were blaming Russia, which it now everybody knows Russia wasn't involved, that all of this was a lie. I mean, as she says, all of it. The culprit was the letter that 51 former intelligence officials signed and said, oh, yeah, this we're experts in this. We've done this throughout a lifetime, and we've got this. And, yes, oh, this is definitely a Russian is fiddle, trying to fiddle with our election. So all the time they were saying that there was, there was stuff going on to influence the election, it was the guys that signed this, in, this letter, 51 former intelligence agencies or, or agents, it was they who were interfering in the election. People that follow the news now know it was all a lie. The letter was the culprit, not Russia. It's amazing. She continues her story. She said there are, uh, today, uh, she said there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. You know his character. You know my character. You know my reputation is for honor and telling the truth. The character of the country is on the ballot. Biden dismissed it as a Kremlin smear. When asked, when some of the reporters asked him, you may remember, 24 short months ago, 
When they asked him, he said, oh, it's just a Russian smear. He said, they're just trying to keep put Trump in office. But he said, we're going to go with what the people, how the people vote, and so on. The letter, this letter signed by 51 former intelligence officials, dismissed as a Kremlin smear, it's much like the Steele dossier and the Russian collusion thing that was peddled by many of the signatories, the same people. They helped to fuel this moral panic about Russia in recent years that now has heightened and brought us all the way, and you can see, you can find the thread, has brought us all the way to now we're talking about the risk of nuclear war, as well as sharing their Trump derangement. Miranda Devine says the dirty 51 sit on the same boards and think tanks, speak at the same events or liberal TV shows, write for the same publications, pal around with the same journalists, retweet each other's <laughs> Slava Ukraini or Marl Laga memes, share hawkish views about regime change in Russia and are remarkably sanguine about the prospect of nuclear war. You would think, since so many have been outed for their involvement in this non-existent weapons of mass destruction intelligence disaster that justified the Iraqi war, she writes, not to mention secret prisons, torture, warrantless eavesdropping, and the bulk collection of Americans' data, They might have learned some humility, but oh no. They've never apologized, divine rights, for those intelligence failures. So it's hardly surprising they are unrepentant about lying to rig the 2020 election. The last letter that the Apostle Paul would write before he would be beheaded in Rome because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He said to a young, very young, pastor, Timothy. This is recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Those were among his last words on earth. And he said it to a young pastor, who would continue to preach the gospel when Paul was gone. And Paul knew the day was coming. He knew it was just a matter of time. Because what he was doing and saying in those days was not tolerated. The Roman Empire was collapsing, not unlike some of the signs in America, if we don't get it turned around. They didn't get Rome turned around. But if if you study the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, per se, and you see it begin to collapse, and I have, because I have have had and do have profound interest in that because of all the, all the reasons. I love history, but I also want to know what happened because it is so close to the time of the New Testament being written and coming into, into existence, inspired by God, but certainly influenced by the culture of the times. There was a spirit of fear in Rome and in the church at that time. That's why Paul kind of underlined this to the young pastor. He said, don't, don't, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think that's obviously all scriptures 
are given by God, inspired, infallible. But that's good advice for today for all of us. It's easy to slip into a spirit of fear in our culture today. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the economy as it's impacting our culture. And unfortunately, too many people. There is a kind of a a, a growing sense of, of fear of what's going to happen because there's a sense of uncertainty in the air. People who are not informed, they don't really have a clue what's driving it, but they do have a sense that there's a lot of fear in our culture, in our world today. Speaking of the New York Post, the New York Post says President Joe Biden, they said this yesterday in a, in a separate article, not related to Miranda Devine's article. But the New York Post said President Joe Biden apparently got brain freeze during a pit stop at, at an Oregon ice cream parlor over the weekend and forgot about the millions of Americans suffering financially when asked about the economy. Did he forget about us, or has he never known the plight of people who are affected by his policies? Maybe he's just, he spent his whole life in so-called public service, a term you don't hear much anymore because it isn't, but he spent his whole life on the government payroll. So maybe he doesn't really have a clue what real life is all about. Maybe there are others like him. I think there are in public office. But I want to take a closer look just for a few minutes this morning. Let's look at the economy. Let's look at how it's impacting our nation, just the emotion of our country. And let's take a look at what we can do about it. When reporters in Portland last Saturday asked about our economy, President Biden said, I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? No, not really. It doesn't. I understand what he's saying, that we're kind of victims of the rest of the world. We haven't always been. We have at one time been the leader of the free world, but that's another issue. The reporters had asked about worries that the U.S. dollar's surging strength is accelerating the rise of the international inflation. Well, it is. Yeah, and people should be concerned, and they should be working that out. There are ways to control that. I don't think he knows how. I don't, I'm not sure the people around him know how, but there are those who do. But he was asked to explain. And the news said Biden, 79, they always cover for him, replied, our economy is strong as expletive. H-E-L-L. As he munched on a waffle cone from Baskin-Robbins chocolate chip ice cream. Back to the New York Post, they said about this, they quoted someone on Twitter who tweeted when they saw his comments, the president's comments, they tweeted, our economy is strong as expletive. Joe Biden eats a $37 scoop of ice cream that was $3 a year ago. Well, they may be overstated. I don't, I mean, I don't know about Baskin Robbins. Maybe it is $37, but the point is made. The country knows we have a problem. Why doesn't the president seem to know? And if he knows, why is he refusing to address the economic issues rather than obsessing over codifying Roe? Yesterday, was that's all he could talk about. And having the backs of transgender activists. He's obsessed with this. Rasmussen Reports put out a, one of their surveys. They put them out 
pretty much weekly, said yesterday that their newest survey finds that only 38% of likely U.S. voters rate Biden good or excellent on the way he's handling the energy policy, gas. However, 46% rate him poor on the issue. Well, there's a real disconnect. He doesn't seem to know that what he does as policy really impacts America. And he keeps saying, oh, there's no problem. Well, there is a problem. And everybody knows it. Just pull up to the gas station. But he doesn't do that because he rides around in a government car. And he should. The president should be well protected and all that, I, regardless of who the president is. I, I'm, I think we all agree on that. But, man, if you just know about gas at groceries, you would know what your policies are doing to the people you're asking to vote for you and to support you. Yesterday, the president said his most recent plan is to draw fur, draw down further our national oil reserves. And somebody said, one of the reporters said, is that motiv- uh, politically motivated? It seems like, it looks like it might be politically motivated just before the election. And he got really upset, as he does. I mean, he, he always gets kind of angry if anybody questions him or crosses him. And that's that's a part of... I'm told, the aging process. Anyway, he said it's not politically motivated at all. It's motivated to make sure that I continue to push on what I've been pushing on. And that's what he's, I'm quoting him verbatim. And that's making sure there's enough oil that's being pumped by the company so that we have the ability to be able to produce enough gas that we need here at home, the oil we need here at home. At the same time, keep moving in a direction of providing for alternative energy. Well, what's he going to do when the well runs dry? He's just about to use up all of the oil reserves. And even the far lefties that he's got around him are saying, boy, I don't know if we should be doing this. It's interesting, but it's concerning. But what is he going to do if the well runs dry? It's interesting, got very little press. But the New York Times, to their credit, did kind of report this yesterday. They said President Joe Biden has reportedly pressed, pressed hard, his team to prepare for the possibility of an economic crash similar to the one experienced in 2008. This is the New York Times. They're a big supporter of Joe Biden, or they have been. They said, I'm quoting from the Times, Biden was scared by the historic economy economic troubles that occurred during his stint as vice president and has asked members of the administration to estimate the chances that the U.S. will undergo a similar crisis. Well, so he does know what's going on, and he's trying to prepare for it because he's scared. Even the fear that is endemic in our culture, apparently he has a bit of that fear himself. And yet he seems to not want to change his policies. He seems to not want to adapt policies that have always worked generally, economically, for this country. When China's pandemic struck America, then-President Trump went to our emergency medical supplies warehouses. You may remember this. We were supposed to have all this tons of medical stuff there in case of a medical emergency like a pandemic in America. Trump went there and essentially they unlocked the door and the place was empty. 
there were no supplies. The reserves had been drawn down by none other than the Obama-Biden administration and never replenished. So I'm wondering, is that what we should expect with our oil reserves? Probably. And you talk about groceries. Newly released polling data shows that inflation is causing most Americans to cut back at the grocery store. Morning Consult released a survey this week that showed that 82% of American shoppers report trying to save on groceries in the last month because of inflation, with more and more Americans simply buying less at the grocery store. Less food. The most common cost-saving actions are comparing prices and buying generic or store brands instead of name brands. Morning Consult said, I, I read most of their report. It's pretty lengthy, but it, it's, it's very well done. They said consumers have consistently relied on these tactics, but recently a growing number have been employing a different approach, buying less overall, not spending as much on food. The poll comes after federal inflation data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed both consumer and producer prices rose more than 8% in the past 12 months. Other items rose far more. Energy prices, for instance, rose nearly 20%, 19-point-something percent in the last 12 months. The food at home index rose 13% over the last 12 months. And the BLS, the Bureau of, of Labor Statistics, said in its release of data earlier this month, the index for cereals and bakery products increased 16.2% over the last year, and the index for dairy and related products rose 15.9%. We are in an inflationary period, and it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Not surprisingly, the poll found poorer Americans are being hit the hardest by higher prices, leaving them the most likely to cut back on groceries. This behavior is most common among people from lower-income households, the, the survey found, who are more likely to have to stay within a monthly budget than high earners. Morning Consult said, but those in the highest income range, and that in their purposes for this poll, were those in the highest income range were those earning at least $100,000 annually or more, are also six percentage points more likely to say they often buy less. So even the people that are, are higher earnings are making and buying less groceries. Can America be redeemed or saved? From this, I had to ask myself, as I, and there's much more, but I, it gives you a taste, no pun intended, of what's happening among groceries and gas. But I had to ask myself, will God bless a nation that makes laws in opposition to his truth? Will he overlook our nation's failure to stop abortion and redefine marriage and all of this nonsense that we're doing today? I mean, it's it's barbaric in some cases, particularly relating to abortion, but redefining marriage is the President of the United States, the most powerful office on this planet, is standing up incessantly telling transgender kids, I've got your back. These kids need help. They don't need an old man who isn't very cognitive aware anymore telling them he's got their back. They don't need somebody to have their back. They need somebody that will love them enough to help them and tell them the truth. It is so bothersome to me. What's the matter with these people? They don't care. Or they have become possessed in the darkness of their own soul and their own understanding. 
Can God bless such a nation? Are our leaders simply doing what is right in their own eyes? The answer is yes. Has America fallen from God's grace? I don't know. But I pray not. Has God removed his hand of divine providence? Is our nation's demise on the horizon? Those people in Rome, they didn't have a clue. They were running around naked, partying up. They didn't know what was going on. Some of them didn't care. Cicero spoke up, but he was somebody murdered him for doing so. The senator, the writer, the philosopher, Cicero. Will America become like these great empires that have fallen, Babylon and Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome? Or will God mercifully intervene? I want to talk to you for a moment today about this. America has been desensitized one generation at a time, one court decision at a time, one compromise at a time, and we're drowning in a cesspool of relativism. And if you listen to this program, you know I talk about relativism often because that eliminates God. There are no fixed truth. Is no fixed truth or truths in relativism. Let me leave you with three things today. One, how do we turn our nation around? Number one, lead a life of integrity regardless of what society promotes. In other words, if needed, stand against society. I'm not suggesting in some violent way. I'm not suggesting it just purposefully being lawless. But I am saying, although only a select few can change government policy, all of us can build a life of moral integrity without, while staying committed to God's word without compromise. Not that we're perfect, we fail, but I'm, I'm saying that can be our, our calling to try to live as best we can for God in a public way, not a silent way, in the culture. Certain rights and wrongs, called absolutes, are given by God to save mankind from ourselves. And if we live out these, not perfect, you're not perfect, and certainly I'm not. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but as we strive to live our lives in a way that pleases God, that does have an impact on the culture. Because God doesn't save a nation per se. God saves the people in the nation, and that saves the nation. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright will guide them. There is guidance as we try to serve the Lord according to his word. And number two, pray and fast for our nation. I know there are those that are calling for prayer and fasting, and I would just add my voice to that. Prayers are more powerful than protest. We should not rely on political power totally, but on the power of God through prayer. Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. <laughs> well, that's interesting. It's challenging. But for those who doubt the power of prayer in Americans' history, you've got to consider how prayer led this nation to become the greatest nation in the history of the world. It was prayer. Our Constitution was written after prayer. The Declaration of Independence was signed prayerfully by their own, by their own expression, the guys that signed it. And number three, vote for principles, not a particular party. He who rules over men must be just. Second Samuel 23, 3. 
Thanks for being with me today. I have more to say. We'll continue right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.